that is that is my goal is helping people to unlock the best versions of themselves because currently i see a lot of people stuck in the same place where i was which is mentally if you don't unlock yourself we can have the best weight rooms and go through the best training platforms we can have the best nutrition and fuel optimally but if we're not unlocked mentally i say it's like you're trying to train the best version of your most restricted self do i really look like a guy with a hello and welcome to a new edition of up close in personnel with alex brown I'm your host, Alex Brown, and if you're new to the show or just forgot, the podcast is all about educating and informing people that are involved with the different aspects of the player personnel and recruiting side of football. We've had on directors of recruiting, directors of player personnel, player development, coaches, players, analysts, everything in between. And this week, we take a new step in this journey. Bucking the trend and addressing a huge topic of importance, we bring in mental skills coach and author, Lucas Jaden. Lucas works with a company Train to Be Clutch as their mentorship program director and works with pro and college coaches, players, and many people in the business world. He's a high performer coaching high performers on a daily basis. Teaming up with Joshua Medcalf, who he partnered with at Train to Be Clutch, Lucas recently published their co-authored book, Win in the Dark, which centers around the principle, you don't rise to the level of your expectations, but rather you fall to the level of your training. And their opening quote on the book is great. It's some think you shine under the bright lights, but the bright lights only reveal your work in the dark. We talk about that. This episode really touches on everything from mental skills and uh, mental health standpoint. When I say everything, I mean it from the foundational level of unlocking yourself mentally to the tools and principles that guide Lucas in his process and the importance of your forged in fire moments. It was a fun episode to record because Lucas asks great questions, kind of flips the script on me a little bit. You're really engaged with me during this episode, and I hope you enjoy listening to this one as much as I enjoyed being a part of it. So as always, please do not forget to subscribe, share, and rate the show. Hit me with any feedback, suggestions for the podcast, because ultimately it's all about bringing you what you want to hear more of. And and that's what we try to do each and every week is to provide you all value and make this worth your while. So I appreciate your time. And with all that being said, let's dive into this week's conversation with Lucas Jaden. Just hit a button, Morty. Give me a beat. Oh, man. Okay. All right. Um. Lucas, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you, Alex. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, uh, as we just talked about, um, you know, before we hit record, uh, I got my wife in the background teaching her second graders. You, I mean, talk about kind of having your hand in so many different things from um, Inspire Sports to you also are a teacher and you work with Josh Metcalf and Train to Be Clutch. Mm-hmm. Um, I, before we dive into like the book and you know the reasons that I brought you on here to talk about mental skills training, how do you balance all of those different kind of juggling that juggling act of you know pursuing what you're passionate about and still having a career? Yeah, for sure. Um, well, first off, I think it's awesome that your wife is in the background. It's like 2020 on a microcosm right here of just people making it happen. You know, you're recording this and she's inspiring. You said second graders, uh, like that, that's just awesome to me. And so, um, for me personally, uh, I don't, uh, balance is a, is a tricky word. I don't know if people in my circle would, would argue that I'm a balanced person. Um, but I do try to stay in harmony with, with my priorities and principles. And I've surrounded myself with an amazing wife. My wife, Katie, helps to uh, remind me of my principles when I need it the most. But really just, I would say the thing for me is everything that I do is an extension of, of me. It's what I believe. So there's less friction of where I don't feel like I'm doing something aligned with me. To me, that's what creates stress. Stress is working hard at something that you don't see alignment and purpose to. But to me, passion is when you are 
working hard on things that are so much aligned to who you want to be as a person. And so for me, I, I do get exhausted at times or, or tired, but there's a different feeling of fulfillment and enjoyment. And I hope that anybody, you know, that's listening can kind of connect to that feeling. Cause I know what it feels like to work really hard and simultaneously be going, well, what's the point to all of this? And that is really hard to me. I've kind of evolved into a position where, where I'm spending my time is just very connected to who I am and what I believe. And to me, that's the greatest energy giver. So, um, to answer your question, that that would be the start. <laughs> no, and I, I think alignment is it, it. It has to start with yourself, and and you have to get to that place. So, like for you, um, how do you start your day? Like, how do you fuel yourself to to be able to give, give, give? Because um, there definitely comes a point where you know you, you're empty. And um, I know for for you and Josh are you know big men of faith, and and that's important to you. Um, you know, for me, I got to start up at five o'clock and have my quiet time. And if I don't, I, I sense mentally that I'm off. Um, so what does that look like for you? Uh, yeah, it's a great question. And what a, what a cool question for me, bookending my day is, is very important. Um, so my evenings, I'm not the type of person <laughs> that can just lay my head down on the pillow and go to sleep for those people that are out there. I hope they, they thank God every single day for that. <laughs> um, but for me, for me, my day really starts the night before and even the day before. If I'm running around with the chicken with my head cut off, for lack of better words, it's like I view my mind as just going at 100 miles an hour. And if I don't purposely slow it down to be able to get some regenerative sleep, it doesn't happen then. So then I'm already behind the eight ball going into the next day. So I really view my day for starting the day prior, you know, the night prior. So for me, that night before really looks like after we put our kids to sleep. So Katie and I have uh, two little ones, and another one on the way. So uh, the Jaden household is, is full and wild, especially in the pandemic. Uh, we have a three-year-old, a one-year-old, and, and then the other one coming. But uh, so when we put them down, bedtime is an amazing time. We love our little ones, but bedtime is a good time. And so we will, we'll just hang out together, watch a little bit of TV, but then I'm getting better at turning the TV off around 8.45, 9 o'clock and doing some sort of meditation um, to really just help my mind slow down and then hopefully naturally go to, go to sleep better. And so that, I really focus more on my nightly routine and then my mornings are just, uh, I'll get up and sometimes our, our youngest is getting up early and I try to play with her or go, go out in nature with her while before our household is up. <laughs> she tends to bless me by uh, getting up early often. So yeah. when it comes to nighttime and morning routine, I do believe like what you just said that you have to put first things first and oftentimes first things first is us. We're giving to so many people. And, and in my case, that's a lot of clients, that's um, different engagements. And I can tell just like you, when that is off, my whole day can go off a little bit. And so it's prioritizing that. Yeah. And, you know, you just kind of mentioned, uh, you know, you have a bunch of different clients and, and uh, talk about the work that you do real quick, and then we can jump into this book, but just talk about, um, you know, you're the mentorship program director for Train to Be Clutch and I think it's really cool the the way you and Josh kind of got together and got to working together because you went to listen to him talk and just had a you know off chance conversation and I think it just makes the the emphasis like you never know like what interactions gonna change you know the next you know course of your life like you know yeah. make the most of every interaction you have and I think it goes both ways for you and Josh you know he could have you know, just looked right past you and you could have kind of been like, oh, well, he's not, you know, going to take any interest in me, but um, talk about how you got involved with Train to Be Clutch and kind of your role uh, right now. Yeah, for sure. Um, so my, so at Train to Be Clutch, uh, Joshua Medcalf was the founder of Train to Be Clutch. He's my current partner uh, in our operations. And uh, it was really just my whole life was built on, I love to compete. Growing up, that was always just something that was close to me. But I would say that I leaned more into compare 
than what I now know as true competition. You see, like I was involved in basketball, cross country, track, I just baseball, football. I loved everything when it came to sports. And when you look at our, where I was from, a small town in, in Wisconsin, that was kind of the common story. But the challenge was that feeling of always something missing. Like I wasn't ever truly getting my best because of some mental challenges that I personally faced. But 12 to 15 years ago, mental skills wasn't really a thing. You know, physical skills were, the weight room was becoming a very important place in just about every athletic program. But mentally it was more of just grit it out, just tough it out. And the challenge was that wasn't working for me. Like I was gritting out harder than anybody in my, my circle that I knew, but I couldn't get rid of these, these thoughts that were circling around in my mind over and over again. And so really starting around my sophomore year, freshman to sophomore year of high school, I really started to have trouble sleeping um, and really got caught in the mental game. So with my journey, what I started to to do is just take it on for myself of how can I learn about this side of things? I can't be broken. Like I just had that in my heart that like, there has to be another area. There has to be people that can help me in this mental side of things to help me unlock my best. There's nothing more frustrating than putting in all the physical work and all the physical time. But when it comes to game day, being exhausted because of beating yourself up mentally. And that's what I was feeling perpetually. <laughs> and so um, that really was my motivating factor of learning and diving into this mental side. And um, I went to college and was studying to be a teacher, but simultaneously was just mainly obsessed with figuring out this mental thing. And, and I just loved it. And I got into coaching and again, I uh, started coaching girls basketball, but my primary factor was how do I help my athletes get the same freedom that I was learning to experience through my growth. And so what I do with my clients is exactly what I kind of went through on my journey, which was starting with suffering. There was a lot of, of suffering, a place of constriction. Um, how do we go from suffering to a place of freedom? And I would argue and maybe assert that that's, that's my product is when people work with me is a greater sense of freedom, being able to be fully themselves, whether it's in a competitive atmosphere, you know, stepping up to the plate. Um, some of my clients play baseball at a high level. And if they're free, when they're getting a ball thrown at them at 90 plus miles an hour, the result's going to be better than if they're stepping up to that plate in a state of fear, constriction, and playing just not to lose. And so at a very, like, that is, that is my goal, is helping people to unlock the best versions of themselves. Because Currently, I see a lot of people stuck in the same place where I was, which is mentally, if you don't unlock yourself, we can have the best weight rooms and go through the best training platforms. We can have the best nutrition and fuel optimally. But if we're not unlocked mentally, I say it's like you're trying to train the best version of your most restricted self. And so I want to help people really experience that full growth by unlocking them mentally. And a lot of times that is overcoming subconscious stories that they don't even know have been existing and limiting them for their whole life. And so I don't get any greater, I think, joy or fulfillment other than when I get to see people go through that transition and really step into experience life in a whole different way in a state of freedom. Wow, I, I could go in so many different directions right now. Um, that's really good stuff. So I kind of want to dive into like you mentioned the you were in the world of comparing versus competing. Sure. And true competitors really it's it's an intrinsic motivation. It's I'm gonna be the best version of myself. I'm gonna mm -hmm. do my best work and um, you know, talk about really especially in today's society with the the level of social media and notoriety and, and it, it definitely feels like it's a it's a pageant show you know on, on twitter it's like who can post the best highlight video who can post the best you know gassed up version of themselves and it, it affects a lot of recruits negatively it affects the way they play and 
and I told you before we started the show, it's, this has a lot to do with recruiting and scouting, but um, I think it, it also applies to the people that are doing the coaching because it's like, okay, how can I, you know, make myself be seen better by my peers in this industry instead of just focusing on doing your, your work. Um, how do you get, how do you transition from that place of comparing to really truly competing? Like it, it does it really just start with the mindset, the self-talk? Um, Cause when the more I read Josh's work, the more I read when in the dark, it's kind of like, you know, your reality isn't what happens to you. It's, it's the story you tell yourself about the things that happen to you. So like, what, what do you, what do you think about making that transition from comparing to competing? Mm-hmm. To me, it is um, completely an inside game. And here's what I mean by that. It's not about social media being the, the bad person, the bad guy, the bad thing. It gets a bad rap. If I, if we didn't have social media, you and I wouldn't be talking right now. Uh, social media has allowed so many opportunities. It has brought a voice to so many people that have had suppressed voices. It, it can, it's a tool. The issue, and this is where comparison comes in, is when insecure people are using the tool. Because if you want to look at social media from an insecure lens, and this is where my work really dives into, is inside of all of us, there is a voice. There is that, that voice of insecurity, self-doubt, inadequacy, and that is challenging us. It's not you. It's a mechanism that's wired into us from a survival lens that all it's worried about is survival. And when you look at survival, survival is a really crappy way to live, and it's definitely a bad way to go about trying to perform at your best because by the nature of it, we're just playing not to lose. And, and so, but woven into us is this need to figure out where do we fit on the hierarchy? And often the hierarchy is completely made up, but um, the hierarchy drives this need to not just compare, but see, am I better off and higher up on a hierarchy than that person? And so I bring this up because comparison by itself, you know, the, the famous quote, comparison is the thief of all joy. I don't know how I necessarily feel about that because when people are not operating from an insecure level, when they're operating from a level of I'm good, my value is set. It doesn't come from what I do. What I do is extra. Who I am, I am loved. I am cared for. That is set. I am a child. If if in your faith, I'm a child of God. If it's just, I, I am loved, but whatever it is, because you're human, your value comes from who you are not from what you do. If you come from a place of that level of security, now comparing yourself becomes a, can become a superpower because it's looking at, okay, I didn't get the results I wanted yet, but which coach, which player, who did, and how can I learn from them? The issue is, is when we go about comparison in an insecure mindset, you know, when, when you were starting out your podcast, um, Alex, who is somebody that you compared yourself? You were beginning, you know, you wanted to bring this resource to so many people. Who's somebody that you compared yourself to where you were to someone that was doing a really good job? Of it? There, there were really two main podcasts that I listened to and it, and it happened when I was driving to work. And this is back when I was at the university of Houston. It's yeah. my second or third year of getting into recruiting. And I'm trying to learn as much as I can about, you know, managing and, you know, cause at the time I'm promoted to assistant director and I have some interns yeah. that I'm working with. And, um, you know, Ryan Hawk is, is, a, he has his learning leader show and his brother, AJ Hawk, everybody knows, but yeah. not many people knew about he Ryan Hawk at the time. He's a Packer man up here. I, I'm, I'm from Green Bay, Wisconsin. So what a, thank you for bringing back that memory. <laughs> it, yeah. Um, and, and he just did such a good job of, um, and still does. I mean, the show is even bigger than it was then, yeah. but, I was listening to it and, and the way he's asking questions and kind of ask the good question, get out of the way, let the dude talk. Um, that was what I wanted it to be like for recruiting because I would just search through Apple podcasts and be like, Hey, who's covering recruiting? Cause I just want to learn as much as I can about it. And it just wasn't there. And so I spent like two years listening to Ryan Hawk and Tim Ferriss show. Wow. Yeah. And I'm like, you know what? Like I, I need to just do this. And <laughs> It was never the right time, but 
anyways, I, I took a long time to answer that question. But yeah, it was Brian Hawk and Tim Ferriss. Um, thank you for doing that for your for your listeners because I think when we can get specific, it helps they can connect to that. And so when you think about that, if you do that from a place of insecurity, what did your little person voice have to say when you're okay? Tim Ferriss is probably one of the kings of podcasts, right? <laughs> so you don't even have your started yet, but you see him with millions of downloads. What does that, when you go fell into that place of a little bit more of insecurity, self-doubt, what did comparison feel like for you in those moments? What was that little person voice saying inside of you? Oh, it was saying, you haven't done enough in this. You, you've, you, you've been a, you know, a recruiting coordinator for one year. Like who, like who's to say you're the the voice of reason on on this? Like, yeah, that that was probably the the main insecurity is like, am I qualified? Sure. To talk about this. Yeah, absolutely. And that little person voice again is invested in you playing safe because it's all about survival. So if you're just playing it quote unquote safe in this little person's voices in that reality, um, you would never get into the podcast game because now you're putting your voice out to the world to see and to critique and to criticize. So when I go to comparison, most people are driven by that little person voice blindly. They don't even, they're not even aware that that is part of them. And it, it, it is a mechanistic thing. They can't control that voice. If you could control it, you would have stuffed it out a long time ago. But what you can control is your relationship with it, that you can't fully control, but you can control your response to that voice of self-doubt, the one that says you're way out of your league, the one that says everybody's going to find you out, the one that says there is no way that all the time, effort, sacrifice behind the scenes is going to be worth it for you. You can determine that relationship with it, but most people are driven by unconscious reactions instead of conscious creations. And so most people would never step into uh, the, the chance of being finding out that I could give my everything in this podcast and that not be enough. People might not listen. For your, your folks that want a scholarship, they could give everything to that game, the recruiting process. They could commit to going all in and still not get that result. And the challenge is, are you willing to step into that uncertainty? Are you willing to not only face the opponent that's outside of your head, but also the one that's internal? And where I see most people fall and break down and ultimately quit is not because of the game externally. It's because they don't have the tools and the mindset and the understanding of how to tackle the game internally. And so to wrap up your question on comparison, um, I just first think we have to go backwards to if you're operating out of fear, insecurity, and self-doubt, comparison will be your demise because when you look around on social media, it always becomes validation that you're not good enough. You can find five people right now within a minute that are crushing it and getting better results than what you are. And if you're coming from a place of insecurity, that just validates, see, I told you, you are never going to quote unquote make it or you didn't have it or people don't believe you can be in this space. And so if you come from that, it's just a, it's like a, you're stuck in a passage with no way out. But when we start to realize that, are those true? I challenge to bring the lies of the little person to investigation, to inquiry. And the questions are, is that true? So if we ask you that question, you know, your way out of your league, you don't have anything to offer in that space. Is that 100% true? Yes or no? Oh, no, not at all, because I can just bring on people that are smarter than me and let them do the talking. That, that's my whole goal. Yeah. But in, so in this space now, you know, okay, that's a lie. Like, it's not true. But how often when it's just you laying down at night or when it's just you and, and technology's glitching and when it's just you, you start to believe that thought to be true. And so when you do fall into because it's because it because it seems logical it seems logical when it's happening you're like yeah you're right yeah i mean like nobody's gonna listen to this or like you know whatever you're doubting yourself about you're like yeah i mean they're probably part of them is probably right you know yeah Yeah. this probably isn't a good idea 
and your mind is awesome at finding any bit of evidence to pull on the strings of why it should be right. You will not believe how many people uh, I spend time with right away when I start working with them that will argue for their limitations. They will argue to me to why their voice doesn't matter. And once we get outside of that box, the, there's a whole new world for them to go and compete, to truly compete. Um, because most, most people are operating out of fear. Some type of past hurt is projecting a future that's totally made up to them, but it's projecting future fear. And whether that's an athlete that maybe they, you know, they did put themselves out on a limb for a recruiting process and they got told no three or four times. So now that hurts because they're going all into it. But the issue comes is when they start to take that past hurt and project it into what's going to happen in my future. Because when we do that, when we project a future that hasn't even happened yet, that is um, bad and out of fear, we start showing up in our survival tendencies, which is on our heels, which is playing just not to lose. And it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you play just not to strike out, you more than likely are going to strike out. And so what we're doing is unpacking at the root level before your mind, which it does on default, creates an awful future because it's survival again of what it's built on. Let's just check it. Is that true? Okay, no, it's not 100% true. But when I believe that lie to be true, that I have nothing to offer, that I'm going to be exposed, when you believe that to be true for yourself personally, how does it change the way that you operate? Maybe with people like me or interview people or people you just see you know, in your day to day, when you're coming from a place of constriction, self-doubt, how does that change the way you operate? You feel like you're just checking a box, you know? Mm. And, and you're almost going through the motions and just hoping, it, 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 uh, the way I think of it um, is the difference between like a loose athlete and like a rigid one. You know, when, when somebody's just like so tense that like every movement is just like yeah. mechanical. Whereas yeah, like the, and, the, the best athletes are, are just like in that flow state, fluid, yeah. smooth, you know what I'm saying? And you nailed it. Like that's, and I wanted to hold on, what's going on in most minds of that, of when you bring tension into any athlete, and I'm, I'm sorry, it's not just athletes. It's also a person in business who's going into a big business meeting. Um, it's also the teacher who's showing up um, it is across, it's the mom and the dad, but like for this specific athlete, from your experiences, when you see an athlete and people can observe them be like, oh, they're, they're tense. Like they're not, something's a little bit off. Um, what is usually going on? What's creating that tension? Oh, it's, it's that internal tension. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's that, whether it's self-doubt or, or you're just you're, you're trying too hard. And, and like with quarterbacks, for instance, like the guys that have the worst deep balls that, that flutter the most, they're quote unquote choking the ball because they're squeezing the ball so tight that they can't spin a spiral. It, I mean, but I mean, it's kind of like all ties in with the same. And what, so the better, so what are they afraid of that? You're seeing failure. the result. Failure. They're, they're fear of failure. Absolutely. So, so, what is beautiful is most coaches and most people see behaviors and it's like the fruit of the tree, right? They see the, the ball that's coming off wrong and they might give a behavior adaptation. Hey, you need to loosen up your grip on it. You need to, um, whatever it might be. But if, as far as I'm concerned, that's like putting a bandaid on the actual mm -hmm. root challenge. And I'm not about superficial fixes. In the moment, yes, you might have to, hey, we've got a quarter left of this game. We need to suck it up and hold it together. But when you dive in deep, I want to go beneath to the roots of that tree. What are, the, what are the internal prisons that this player or person is currently living in? And how when we unlock those fears, they naturally cascade into a more relaxed, confident individual. And not only does the ball come off of their hand better, they're also seeing the field better because their perception is more open. It's not as much tunnel vision. They're making quicker reads, all because you went to the root level. So many people in this field are obsessed 
with strategizing. And I'm not saying like I am into strategies, but if we don't first dig below the surface and help unlock what we call the twin thieves, the fear of failure and the fear of judgment, in for lack of better words, in my opinion, you're pissing into the wind. <laughs> like we, there will consistently be another issue to come up. And I speak from so much love and compassion because I know what it feels like to constantly be on the search to maybe if I pray harder, maybe if I visualize more, maybe if I take a better uh, grip on the ball, then I will get the result that I'm looking for. But what I'm opening up to people is it's deeper than that. And when you bring up the fear of failure, so many people are just ignorant to the fact that how our mind is wired makes everybody abrasive to failure. But if we really unpack failure, it is a necessary stepping stone for you to reach where you want to go. So not only do you need to fail once in a while, you need to fall in love with productive failure. Fall in love with pushing yourself so hard that you are going to fail. Failure doesn't become a signal that you're off track. It becomes a signal that you are on the edges of your growth. And uh, I can remember a friend of mine is the athletic trainer for the Arizona Diamondbacks. And I got the opportunity to go out there and meet with him. And I had just come from doing a workshop with a different MLB team during spring training. And we asked them the question, what is the toughest mental challenge holding you back from being your best? And so this is a bunch of, bunch of dudes from all, all levels. Some guys that are just trying to make, you know, the single A roster to guys that are scheduled to make millions of dollars. And overwhelmingly, it came back as fear, right? Fear of failure. What if I go all into this and um, I let my family down? Because it's a big sacrifice to go to spring training, to go all in. And what if, is that selfish? You know, if I don't quote unquote make it, is this all a waste? Um, to the guys where it was like, I had a great year last year. I just don't want to slip backwards. And there was just a lot of fear. And that's what we talked about. And for a lot of those players, it was eye opening. You know, they didn't realize that that little person voice was existent in, inside of every human. But that next day I go to the, the Diamondbacks facility. And at this time, Paul Goldschmidt, uh, was still part of the Diamondbacks, part of their team. And he uh, is to this day, one of the most impressive athletes in my mind. When I got to first meet him here, he was like a five-time all-star. And uh, I'm talking to their athletic trainer and it's way before any other athletes coming into the, to the gym. You know, the, the athletic room's here, the gym is right outside. And I'm talking to them about mental skills and, and what's going on. And they're like, well, we'll have you just talk to Paul when he gets in here. And now in my mind, I was like, man, I only know one Paul that's on the Diamondbacks. And like, would he really be the first dude into work, <laughs> like into workout? And uh, sure enough, Paul Goldschmidt comes in and they're like, hey, Paulie, uh, come on in here. And, and so he, call, he comes in and we start a conversation up. And now I'm just a, a random dude. This is like four years ago or three years ago. And he just strikes up a conversation about mental skills and how he loves to read, how, you know, reading was his superpower. And like, and I go to him, hey, you know, what do you think is the toughest mental challenge that guys in your similar spot or guys looking to make it into the league, uh, the big leagues, what is it that they're, fa they're facing? I kid you not, without even a moment of hesitation, he looks at me and is like, huh, fear of failure, man. And my, my mind is just like, wow, because when you start to understand awareness is a superpower, when you understand the battle that you're up against, you have a much better chance to beat it than when you're totally blind to it. With our football folks, it's like, I like to say, what's the feeling like when the defense is getting to your quarterback consistently and you have no idea like what is happening? That's a state of frustration. That's a state of panic. But when you start to pinpoint, okay, here's where it's coming from. That's the challenge. Here's where the cracks are. Now we can build a plan to get on offense instead of defense. And so what, what Goldschmidt brought up to me is that day is the superpower and understanding the fear of failure and the fear of judgment. 
that it's within everybody. But if you try to resist it and act like it doesn't exist, which especially for dudes seems to be the number one weakness is just one identifying that, hey, this is hard. I do feel fear. <laughs> but if you resist it, it owns you. That little person voice, if you try to fight it, if you try to just beat it, if you um, act like and try to avoid it, it owns you. But when you start to create space for it, when you start to learn it really well, I always challenge people, you know, it's not about fighting that voice as much as it is to learning to love that voice. Because that voice, whether it's telling you to quit when you are three seasons into something you're trying to pursue that you're not seeing the results of, or whether it's at a workout that, you know, it's the, towards the end reps and it's screaming, telling you to not go harder. If you can learn to love that voice and see it as a sign, a sign that I'm on the right track, now you're learning how to work with that voice. And for Paul Goldschmidt, it's a, he just showed me the power of getting on offense in the mental world instead of defense. And so I wanted to just bring that up. I just thought it was it's such a powerful piece of awareness and one of the reasons I think that he's a, a very special player. It really is. And it's so funny, as you were talking through that, I had some notes on the book and I mean, you hit all the twin thieves, you hit all the productive failure, you don't own your fears, they're gonna own you. Um, you know, I, I really, I, I appreciate you jumping on the show because I think a lot of people need to, to hear the things that you talk about um, and that you and Josh wrote about in the book and, mm -hmm. and talk about timing. Like how, what better year to have win in the dark drop than the pandemic year of 2020. So um, talk about what led to the title of the book to um, your inspirations. Cause I, I'd be, I'd be really curious to know like who you read, like what, what you've really um, dug into to kind of help fuel this journey that you're on. Yeah. Um, well, I'll kind of go in, I'll go into both and make sure that, you know, you direct me if I, if I don't hit on one, cause you guys two really awesome questions, kind of the origin of the book and then also my personal inspirations, which there are so many. Um, but with Win in the Dark, uh, I was teaching before a concept of the dungeon. And the dungeon, for those that haven't checked out the book, is in this world that, I, that is very filtered, you know, with Instagram, with social media, it can be very easy to start to think that everyone only experiences what we call penthouse moments which is life is flowing, things are great. It's like you're viewing the world through glasses that are clear, if not even tinted a little yellow to make everything just seem great. And we know the penthouse does exist. Um, I call this also like the green state. Everything's just flowing. You might get hit with the challenge, you're able to see around it. Um, people might talk behind your back and you let it flow. You know, that is the penthouse state. It's a beautiful state to be at. The challenge is it's not fully controllable because if we could fully control being at that state, we would always be there. And what I started to learn over and over again is that for every one of those days, the performers and the people that I get to work with were also experiencing the dungeon days. And the dungeon is when you wake up for some reason and it's like, you know, you got maybe have a headache, you feel groggy, that little person voice springs to life immediately telling you about all your inadequacies. And it's like you're viewing life through crap stained glasses. Like everything just seems darker because of the state. And what I found is there was like this lie that when I was in high school and going through my stuff, I believe that I was the only one facing the dungeon moments. And why was I going through the darkness of the dungeon? But the reality is, everybody faces that and not just a little bit quite often and what i've found is the bigger the dreams the more dungeon days that you're going to have to show up and navigate into and so the book really came from um, all the talks that we were doing that we were already seeing bringing value of how do you win in the dark let's not act like the dark doesn't exist i think that is setting again it's going back on defense but rather let's blow it up. Like, let's not just say what if the dark happens. Let's not allow that to 
be an if scenario. Let's say when it happens, how do we train ourselves and our people to still be at our best, to still operate in a heart posture that we want to be? You know, the when I work with clients, the first thing that I do is have them write out their own obituary. And I want to know very quickly, what is your North Star? Who do you want to be? And then once we know who you want to be as a person, then the next question is, what do your dungeon days look like? And what gets in the way of you doing that? And so in our work, it's about who do you want to be? Set that individually. And this, and this talk is really about empowering the individual. But when we do culture work, then it's about collectively, who do we want to be? And then afterwards, as a culture, asking the question, what are the pain points that we're going to be presented with, the dungeon days that will get into that way? And how do we get on offense, build a system around attacking it mentally instead of letting it up to chance? And so win in the dark is about how do you face those moments and feel like you're winning? And, um, and that is really where the title came from. We worked with a football program that uh, used it as their tagline, you know, kind of their theme uh, a couple years back. And I just, I thought it was really good, really solid. And um, that's where the title came from. And it just really resonated with myself personally. And then also with a lot of the people that we were working with. And so as far as inspirations, what, what are you looking for specifically there? You know, like, like what did you really, I mean, from people that you read, maybe uh, like people that you listen to. Um, I know you, you went to Josh's uh, speaking engagement you know, years and years ago. And, and obviously you, a lot of it's internal with kind of your own experience from being an athlete struggling with it, yeah. kind of going down that, that journey of like, I'm going to figure this out. So yeah. when you were, I guess it probably really started then. Um, what did you really dive into? Like, like who was it that you were reading? Um, what were you, I mean, what were you learning from mostly? Yeah, it's such a great, great question. I would really, when I look backwards, life is the greatest teacher. And I know that that may be cliche, but most people are always looking externally to do their learning. You know, it's kind of a really Western way of doing things. And it's, you know, if I just read that other book or take that other course. Um, but for me, the best learning has been when I started to record <laughs> what are my best learning moments. And it was always the moments where I was going through the most pain. Um, so there's a story in the book, Forged in Fire, where we just talk about, and I would share this with your, your, your recruits um, too, is so many coaches bring up that many of their athletes that are coming now, the word entitled, you know, it, they're entitled. I've heard a lot of words, soft. Um, and I don't think it's a fair characterization of a generation by any means. I think some of these kids are tougher than anybody prior, but in general, um, the story forged in fire is one that I would share with them of uh, back in medieval times, a sword was one of the most valuable tools. And the people that made these swords were called swordsmiths. And people would travel many distances to be able to really get a great sword, one that's made really well. And the process that these swordsmiths would put a sword through to get it was called the shite. And the shite was basically taking a block of steel, one of the hardest metals on earth, 20 plus pounds, putting it into a fire, molten hot, you know, and really heating it up, taking it out of the fire, pounding it with a mallet until it would cool, trying to get the shape of a sword. But you couldn't get it on just one round, so they would put it back into the fire, heat it back up to 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit, take it out, pound it again. And this process would continue up to 20 times into the fire, get pounded, into the fire, get pounded, until finally that sword was forged into having an edge. It was forged into being durable enough. And um, I bring up that story because I think a lot of people want to have an edge, but they're not willing to go into the fire or they're not willing to go into the training or the circumstances um, to actually get that edge. But when you really start to look backwards, you've already mo had moments of fire, of pounding. So what for you, Alex, like just for your listeners sake, when I bring that up, 
what's an example of when you've gone through the fire, when you've been through the fire emotionally, maybe physically, to just that forged you into somebody different? Uh, hmm. Great question. I would, the first one I think of was my junior, so junior high school, like for football purposes, yeah. for athletic purposes is like the most important one in general. Yeah. And it's like halfway through my junior year, having a good season. And uh, <clears throat> I, uh, I get a stinger in practice mm. and don't really think anything of it. I'm like, Hey, what, what is this? Like just shot like a pain through my arm, you know, felt my fingers were tingly. I'm talking to my trainer and they're like, I don't worry about it. Like, you're going to be fine. You, you can just shake it off, go back in. So I shake it off, go back in, get a second one right away. I'm like that's not normal. So then they, they say, Oh, well, let's just take you out of practice for the rest of the day. You're going to be fine tomorrow. So fast forward to, as, as that week goes on, I get five more stingers in that week of practice. Mm. And I keep trying to like, Hey, like, what's the deal? Like, do I need to get this checked out? And they're like, no, you, you're not showing any other signs. So you should be fine. And I get one in the game on a kickoff, making a tackle mm. and my arms numb for like basically two days, like the mm. top half of my arm and they shut me down for the whole rest of the season. I missed district sitting on the sideline for playoffs um, you know, not able to, to do any upper body lifts because I'm like rehabbing my, my arm basically. And it was the first time where I was like, wow, like in a year and a half from now, mm. this is all going to be over. And my whole world has been wrapped up in sports. Mm. So what are you going to do? Because you're clearly not going to play college football. Mm. Um, I mean, because I, I was very self-aware. Like I, I knew I wasn't yeah. at that level and but I, I, in my mind like growing up that was all I wanted to do just wanted to play football right so that that was the first moment where I was like okay like I really need to figure out what I'm going to do with my life because yeah. I don't I don't know right now and I think sure. that that had a lot to do with kind of my identity was built in playing mm. the game yeah and and so tell me about the fire though emotionally so when you have a um, really in that phase you learned a lot about identity and I don't know if there's a deeper teaching than what we can figure out is who are you, you know, who am I in a lot of spiritual worlds, that's the deepest teaching that you can dive into. And you were forced because of life circumstances uh, to have that question earlier on, but tell me about the fire, like emotionally take me inside of your head, inside of your feelings um, at that time when, you know, whatever the fire was the hottest in that story. Yeah. Uh, like, yeah, maybe uh, my teammates going to, you know, you kind of worry, like, I'm not like, I don't have a broken leg. I don't have a, a, yeah. a broken hand. I don't have a concussion. You know, it's like, are they going to doubt my toughness? Like mm -hmm. you, you have, have those thoughts of like, all right, so what are my teammates going to think of me? The yeah. fact that, you know, really on my body, I look like I'm fine. And I, I don't have a neck brace on, like I'm, I'm moving around just fine. I just know that I can't practice because I went to, you know, uh, mm -hmm. the doctor and they looked at my uh, C5, C6 or whatever. And they're like, Hey, you have a plexus stretch. Like you can't yeah. hit until you rehab this. But it, yeah. like the, I guess the, the biggest feeling of, the, of that fire is just like, wow, this is kind of my thing that I have to go through that nobody else can really understand. Yeah. Does that make sense? Oh, completely. And in that moment, because what you just, you gave such a beautiful platform for any of your listeners to, to hear, because people might not connect with the stinger story, but they can connect with the feeling and the feeling that you just talked about of uncertainty, the feeling of what are all the people thinking about me? And at a deeper level, even like you, you know, you probably pride yourself on being a really tough person. And now you look in the mirror and you look fine. And it's like, is something wrong with me? And all of that is, that's the journey of the internal battle. The one, you know, the game external going on, but then also the game internally is, can you be good with you? And what a beautiful story. And what did you, so now if we bring it back to your question of learning, you know, what is one thing that today, where you stand, you know, in the present moment, 
a way that you were forged, something that you learned from that specific moment, what would that be? Just any, any moment that's, that stands out the most is what you're asking. No, like what, so from that moment, the moments that you just talked about, yeah, yeah. something that you've learned, like something that made you into somebody different, helped you evolve into who that you are today. Yeah. Um, from that moment, uh, I think it just, it, it gave me such a better perspective of like, mm. you know, there's, there's a world outside of you, you know, and, um, it's going to keep going. It's going to keep going on with or without you. And you can either feel sorry for yourself or, um, you know, you, you can either allow things to happen to you or happen for you. And that was the moment that happened for me. And, um, you know, I show up the next day at practice and coach is like, Hey, you're, you're, you're out for the rest of the year. Right. And I was like, yeah. And he was like, well, you know, you can stay and watch practice. I was like, Hey, can, can I help? Like, what can I do? And, um, that's just, honestly, that's like my, my parents. Um, cause they, they'll get on to me if I'm not, you know, if I was at the house and somebody's working and you're not working. Um, that's just my mom's mentality and my dad's mentality, but, um, started helping out with the receivers coach and, um, getting more involved with the game. And that's when I realized I was like, you know what, like I, I could see myself doing this for a while, like, cause I, cause I was enjoying it. And I, I think I, I learned that, um, you know, you just got to make the most of the opportunities that are in front of you and mm. you can either feel sorry for yourself or, um, take advantage of it. Yeah. No, it's a, what a beautiful story. And there's a quote that we challenge people with is that, um, everything that happens is in your best interest and an opportunity to learn and grow. And that's life working for you at a very deep level. And when you get that type of trust for life, it doesn't mean you don't work hard. doesn't mean you don't, you know, go. It's just really realizing that things are lining up in your life that you can't even see how it's going to benefit you in the future. And you don't have to know it now. You know, I would never tell a kid who just blew their ACL and their seasons out in that moment of pain and that right there that this is going to be your impetus, your catalyst for becoming the best version of yourself which even though you can't see it right now, is going to give you more of a result than even what this football season could have. But like over and over again, I hear those stories. I hear that story that that sucked. I would never wish that on another, another person, but it also forged me into a person that I am today. And I don't know if I could go back if I would change that because it would mean that I would lose what I learned along that way. And so when to go like to your learning question, I would first just say it's those moments of emotional moments that I've learned the most from. And I would challenge your, your listeners to create a forged and fire list. Anytime that I'm working with someone who wants to be recruited, I challenge them to be ready to share. When have you been forged and fired? When can you, without a doubt, get people to understand that you can do hard things? Without a doubt, here is why I, as a 17-year-old, 18-year-old, 19-year-old, whatever it is, can do hard things. And from people who are looking at bringing on new people into their culture, I think your selection process has to be so detailed because getting the right fit is so important. And I, I just love the question. So tell us, how do you know internally that you can do hard things? Where have you been forged in the fire? And you will learn a lot about the makeup of a person mentally when they respond to that. And so for myself and learning, you know, mile repeats when I was running cross country, doing three to four mile repeats at a blistering pace taught me that usually when I think I need to quit or I'm at my wits end, that I still have more left. And the greatest inhibitor to my physical performance was rarely physical fatigue, but rather mental fatigue. And I could untap that, that I, if I learned to battle and overcome that little person voice, that was my greatest governor. So that was one thing that I learned. When my grandpa passed away, it was learning that um, one really just hit hard that life is finite, you know, and that death is not something that 
weak necessarily or that I was going to fear, but I was going to allow it to remind me that this life is finite. Because if, if you forget that, you know, oh, I've got a million years to live, <laughs> then what is the motivation to bring my best every day? What's my motivation to be grateful? What's my motivation to treat life with reverence, opportunities with reverence? But when you realize that this is finite, that we only have an X amount of years, it changes the way that we operate. And so that was learning that I have for, with me for a long time. When, when Joshua was you know, inviting me onto the Train to Be Clutch team, I had a comfortable job. I was teaching full time. You know, it, was, it was comfortable, I had great relationships, um, but this opportunity was going to another level. But it meant at the time I had to quit my full time teaching position. And at that very moment, my wife was pregnant with our first uh, our first son. And I can remember visibly uh, sitting in his soon-to-be room, crouched down in like what felt like the fetal position, um, up against his wall going, am I making the biggest mistake of my life? Because there's no salary in, in my work. It's all off of like, I run my own business. Like I get paid what I get paid. Like, am I making a mistake? Is this irresponsible? Is this like a, a pipe dream as somebody told me it was? <laughs> um, and I can remember sitting in that room just shaking because what I wanted what was what was best for my family. And looking back, it's wild to think that what I even would have considered logically best for my family to stay in that job <laughs> and not pursue this. But when I realized there is the only answer to my future and my future success was going to be, I don't know. How much money was I going to make? I don't know. Were people going to say, look at Lucas, he just had an epic failure in leaving that job. I, don't, I didn't know. And falling in love with surrender and being okay with I don't know and surrounding myself with people, specifically my wife and my parents who supported me on that journey that it was okay not to know, um, that was learning that still guides me to this day. And now there's situations when COVID hits um, instantly in a matter of three days, I probably had 50% of my income that was scheduled evaporated because of live events. And in that moment for any entrepreneur, that's, that's painful. But I was able to sink into what's going to happen in a week, I don't know. And I can settle in that because I can trust myself because I've been through that. And those are the biggest learning moments of my life is, is really looking at where, what did I learn from the emotional moments? But I don't want to make this seem like I've done this on my own. I've also had incredible influences. I brought up my parents, my grandpa, I wrote the book uh, with Joshua about my grandpa. A lot of that's a true story. Um, and I've had a family of aunts and uncles that were incredible teachers. And then as far as books go, um, I started studying things that weren't popular before they became popular. So Brene Brown was, I became obsessed with her work about five years ago and with vulnerability and with um, really learning about that. I, I studied Dr. Daniel Amen, who did more brain scans than anybody else in the world. Uh, Whew, I'm just trying to think of some of the other ones. Um, there's a, a really, uh, I got to coach alongside some people from Appleton North High School when I was coaching that I still think are some of the best coaches in the country. And I just always took time to like connect with them and listen to what they were doing. Uh, I have a friend five miles down the road. His name is Steve Jones from, from Kimberly High School. And, uh, you know, just developing his real, a relationship with him he had, I think like him and his program had a 70 some game winning streak in the biggest division in football. And it was seen that they were there and learning, what could I learn from him who's doing it real time? Um, then the, I have a mentor now, that his name is Peter Crone, that I just think is next level on the mental side of things. And so like, it's just been a constant circle of surrounding myself with people that I feel like are pushing me um, in areas that I want to grow. And it goes back to what you said about comparing. You, you can use it as a superpower. Um, yeah. I, I really appreciate you. And uh, just for our listeners out there, the first thing that, that Lucas texts me is um, just how grateful he is to jump on my show, which I, again, appreciate you, but 
you just wanted to add value. And I really do uh, definitely feel like you added a bunch of value to this show. So where can our listeners uh, find you and find your work? Um, and just another shout out on the book, Win in the Dark, go check it out. It's on Amazon. You can just search it in Google and, and go buy it. But um, where can our listeners go find you and, and read more about your work? For sure. So probably the best place is our website of just resources, and that's t2bc.com. And then um, I'm also on, on Twitter and uh, have some work on Instagram. It's a very, very beginner level uh, <laughs> yet, but I hope that, yeah, I hope that my heart posture comes out of, I truly care about your listeners and what the work that you're doing, Alex, like just the way that you ask questions, the work that you did ahead of this to, to your heart posture is just so, uh, I am grateful to be around it. And I hope that all of what was said today, I get passionate about it. And I hope that everyone knows it's coming from a place of love and compassion and understanding um, that it's a messy road. There is no clear cut steps. You know, there's no three cut plan to just becoming the best version of yourself. But there is a journey in this mental world that I just hope your listeners, if everybody here could start to unlock themselves a little bit further from those fears of judgment, those fears of failure, and those limitations, our world is a better place. Um, and I would love to hear any of their stories if they want to reach out and share. Absolutely. Thank you again. And uh, I will uh, let you get back to your day. Sounds good, Alex. Have a great day. You too, man.